Hey, how are you? Welcome to the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. Today is August the 16th, 2022. My name is Frank and his name is Alex. What's up, dude? Hello, man. Long time no see. Yeah, real long time. <laughs> hey, I, I gotta say, dude, you clean up well. Thank you. You as well, man. You don't always present yourself as the sharpest cat, <laughs> the sharpest tool in the shed, but you get a little beard cut, you get a little suit on you, splash a little uh, sex panther on your neck. Exactly. Beautiful ceremony, man. All around, we're talking about Michael Lopez and now Paulina Lopez's wedding uh, out in San Diego this past weekend. And dude, it was beautiful, man. They, they did it like in La Jolla. Uh, which is still San Diego, right? It's, it's not like a separate oh, yeah. city. It is. Okay. Uh, so an area of San Diego, and it's just like up on the cliffs here on the edge of the world, it feels like. And like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'll ever be to a nicer wedding than that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty sweet. Your best man speech was beautiful. Thank you. It was my fourth best man speech I've given in my life. Oh, wow. And they've all been pretty good, I think. <laughs> I, I, thought that, I thought they went pretty good, but I like, I knew what I was going to say. I had it all kind of planned out in my head. Uh-huh. I don't know why this one was so hard for me to formulate. I mean, it's your best friend getting married, man. I, I could see why. And like, I, I had so many, I had so many things to file through, you know, like what, like, how do you, how do you parse out what's important? I've known mm. him now. Let's see. We met in 2005 and it's 2022. So doing some quick math, that's 17 years. That's yeah. Yeah. Damn. Which is longer than I've been alive. So, or longer than, than <laughs> half of my life. Yeah. <laughs> of course it is. You don't have to give the whole speech or whatever, but the story you told during the speech was great, I thought. And I wondered if you could kind of share it with our audience, just as it kind of ties into friendship and uh, it's a beautiful story. Yeah, uh, definitely. I can share it. So the reason I picked that story is it's really the only time Michael and I have ever had like a rift Oh, wow. in, our, in our relationship. There's never been really a time where like there's been any sort of drama or anything like that. You know, we've always kind of just had each other's back no matter what. Mm-hmm. So the story goes, I'm kind of a newcomer into this friend group, right? The, the people that are in this friend group kind of know each other from elementary school, middle school. I don't know any of them really. This is the start of high school. This is the start of high school. Weird caveat. I actually took my first communion with Michael and Chris. Didn't even know who they were. Wow. Crazy. But they were just happened to be in the same grade class and I went to the same church. So we took communion in the same, in the same group, whatever. Anyway, so I am new to this friend group. I, I don't really know who they are. Uh, they don't really know who I am. They probably thought I was a douche cause I was. Man. And, uh, you know, the, the Frank of that time would not be as eager to stand up for himself as maybe the Frank of today. So kind of a pushover. And they, I think they sense that. So, you know, they pick on me and, you know, whatever. It's, I'm not, I'm not, you know, playing victim here. And it's just kind of what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one day we were at uh, rehearsal for Quinceanera and the house where we would rehearse at had like a really nice pool in the backyard. So like after rehearsal, if it was a nice day, we'd go in the pool and swim and shit. And uh, I'm outside the pool sitting on this like bench. I don't I think I was by myself. Maybe Chris was sitting next to me, but I think Michael and Chris took this bucket of ice and poured it all over my back. I was super pissed and I was embarrassed and I was heated and like, you know, like that frustrated, like you almost want to cry because you're just like so down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had some f- friends that I actually had known from, from previous years there and they were kind of like talking to my ear, telling me to go and uh, get revenge, you know, get back at him. Mm-hmm. And, and they were telling me to throw his clothes in the pool. So I threw his, threw his clothes in the pool and then like the coward I was, I went inside and I'm pretty sure like I went and watched uh, 
like PGA golf with, with the grandfather of the, like whoever owned the house, <laughs> like this is like as to avoid confrontation. And, uh, anyways, I got picked up and needed to figure out how it was that I was going to get to school the next day because Michael was my ride. And I feel like I kind of like in my head, I was like the relationship is ruined. So, uh, I texted him, I sent like three groveling texts, just basically like, dude, I'm sorry. You would have done the same thing, blah, blah, blah. You guys were assholes. And he just sent me like a short text back saying, you know, be there at 7.30 or 6.30 or whatever. And so I went, went to his house, got in the car, didn't say a word to Michael or me. It was really quiet and awkward. And so I was like, fuck, like this is, this is kind of, this might be the end of it, you know, and mm-hmm. thinking I'm going to have to find a new ride to school. <laughs> and uh, at some point during that day, uh, Michael turned to me, showed me his cell phone, and it was a naked lady. Mm. The reason that it's such a meaningful statement was because it was 2006, <laughs> and it takes a lot to get anything downloaded on your phone, especially a naked lady. Uh-huh. So he just kind of turned to me. He was like, check this out. And uh, that was it. Like that was, that was how we reconciled whatever rift that was. I think in my speech, I called them the boobs of friendship. Yeah, the breast because that's where they were yeah. and since that time literally since that time uh, michael and i have been uh have been best friends uh, and there's been like no drama at all yeah that was no it was great man and i think you told that story and you said little did i know that it would be i think you said like the foundation of the best friendship in my life and right when you said that man you i i thought i was about to see you cry you were close dude i know you got choked up i definitely choked up a couple <laughs> times and it was funny because like I wasn't even thinking about the emotion of any of it. It yeah. just kind of hit me. And then like the only task was to like power through mm-hmm. and, and give the speech. But yeah, it, it did get a little emotional, man. It's kind of, you never talk about your friend like that, like in, in, in front of them, you know, in front of people. So it does get emotional for sure. In front of a room full of people that like feels like it's all their family and friends. Like it's all, mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of love, like radiating. So congratulations to them. They're out in uh, Venice, Italy right now on their honeymoon. Very jealous. <laughs> yeah. Really nice. I actually got a text from him this morning saying that he had the best uh, continental breakfast that he's ever had in his life. So he's really living it up there in <laughs> Italy. It's not necessarily a text I was hoping to get. But no, that's sure awesome. That'd be a great time. Uh, no, so I saw something in the news about McDonald's. And just real quick before we get to actual news, but kind of just, I saw a picture and then a story. And I'm like, oh, McDonald's. And it got on my head and I just kind of started being weird and, and looking into some things. So I wanted to show you a couple things really quick. All right. You see that, that menu there? Oh, wow. Look at that. That is the original McDonald's menu. And we were kind of talking off air. You obviously know that like they were formed, they were founded, I think in like 1940 by the McDonald's brothers. This is how the menu started. And this is how, when they were open in San Bernardino, Things were, were cool, but they were just a one-off location. Uh, if you've seen the movie Founder, you probably know the story or someone familiar with it. But Ray Kroc, who was a mixer salesman, came through, a dude from Chicago, and saw how great it was, heard them kind of talking about franchising, got in their ear about it, made it happen. And in 1955, they opened the very first location of the franchise, which was here in Des Plaines, uh, Illinois, right outside Chicago. This was the original menu. You could get a hamburger for 15 cents, a cheeseburger for 19 cents. They had like eight or nine things on this this menu. And it was very, 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 very simple. Flash forward uh, another like 20 years. This is the picture I saw that kind of got me down this rabbit hole. This is their menu in 1972. And it, it just made me think like, I wish fast food places did this still. Because I, I think now like, their menus are so fucking big and there's got salads and 30 different sandwiches and blah, 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 where it's like to do it right. 
you just need the basics, man. Like we don't, we don't need a full spread at a McDonald's. Like I feel like this was like the best time of fast food because it was simple as a hamburger, a cheeseburger, French fries, pie, shake. I, I just thought this was wild, bro. Like I, I can't even imagine things costing this much either. Fifty cent fillet of fish. Yeah, right. Fucking Big Mac was 65 cents. That's insane. A shake, 35 cents. And they only had Coke, root beer, and orange aid. Like, come on. That's that's all you need. Don't give me all these options. Just straightforward. Maybe a Sprite. Maybe Yeah, maybe a Sprite. Yeah, throw a Sprite true. in there. That's true. I hear you, man. This is the same. I mean, it, might as well be looking at a menu of In-N-Out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which I had this weekend. And it was probably my most favorite In-N-Out experience, actually. I want to oh, yeah? tell you about that later. Okay, let me finish this, though. So, very simple. You know what you're getting. I'm sure it's really fresh because they're only making a few things. One thing I didn't know about, the Triple Ripple ice cream cone. I'd have no idea what that is. I looked it up, and it's like a little Neapolitan... Looks delicious, kind of. Looks pretty good. Hey, go back to that original McDonald's menu. The very first one? Right here. Listen to these descriptions. Tempting cheeseburger. <laughs> a triple thick, triple thick shake. A thirst-quenching Coke and a full-flavor orange drink. They've all got adjectives. Delightful root beer. <laughs> Refreshing cold milk. Great for a hot day. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was interesting. That, you know, like, we don't, uh, we're not, not, not as descriptive anymore. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of weird. That's very true. It's like, what the fuck do you want? Yeah, right, exactly. You know what you're getting. Yeah, like, you've lost all, uh, like, the root, the root beer is no longer delightful. It's just a root beer. It's just root beer. That's right. You know? So, you know, it just it made me think of, like, a simpler time. I'm sure that they were delivering. It made me think, like, probably better food because of the time that it was. I, I, I promise like, you, I promise you, it, it's a thousand percent lower quality than food we're eating today. You think so? That's what I was kind of wondering. I'm like, is it, was it better because it was a smaller operation, smaller menu, blah, 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 blah. And then like in the eighties and nineties, did they get to all the artificial shit that they got in trouble for? Or do you think even from its inception, like we're eating better food today? I'd have to, op I'd have to imagine that if we're cranking out microwave cookbooks in the sixties, yeah, then we're like <laughs> all about whatever artificial whatever and yeah. well well into the 70s and there's probably less regulation back then so they could do whatever they want and, you know cow hooves and you know pig snouts and your burger you know i'm not saying that's what happened to them. i'm just saying like yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I i i would bet a, a large amount of money that in the 70s the food was of a lower quality yeah i believe it so yeah and then you get to the 80s and that's when they started adding i think 83 uh, they partnered with Tyson and they they started doing chicken McNuggets. And from there, like the menu just exploded to mm. what it is today, obviously. But I bring that up because there was a story out of Georgia that just happened over the weekend where a frustrated customer uh, due to waiting too long for food, then they didn't scream out. You know, he didn't hear his number or they didn't say his number. They didn't give him a receipt. So basically his food got cold. This dude gets really pissed, throws his food at the people behind the counter. He calls the cops. They call the cops. The cops show up. And it turns out that this guy uh, was charged for felony murder in 2018 and failed to appear in court. So he had a warrant out for his arrest. <laughs> he's calling the police to his location. Oh my God. Uh, and then once he's confronted talking to the cops, kind of probably gets the idea that he's fucked. He ends up running from them. Uh, and, go, and there was a, a short pursuit where he eventually got caught at an apartment building when he was trying to break into somebody else's house uh, and is now sitting in prison. I don't even think they gave him any kind of bail or anything like that. But this dude's name is Antoine Sims. He's 24. The dumbest thing you can ever think of. Like you're calling the cops about cold fries and then you go on a run. It just blew my mind. So it like got me down this the weirdest McDonald's wormhole I've ever gone through. Mm, the American <laughs> criminal. 
Yeah, but I wanted to bring it up because once I started looking at those menus, I'm like, man, like it just seemed like such a simpler time. Like if they could get back to that, man, it's it's just now it's just like you're. I don't need 50 options when I go to eat McDonald's. You know, just yeah. Make it I don't simple. even eat McDonald's. I'm not. I'm not a fan. Never really have been. No. You know what ruined it for me? When we were kids, we would go to the beach. You know, Saturday, mm. Sunday, you know, data waste or whatever. So we go to the beach. And my mom would go and pick up like 40, 39 cent cheeseburgers. Nice. Because I think it was Sundays and Wednesdays, they were 39 cents. We just grab like two big bag full of, of cheeseburgers and go to the beach and just mow down on shitty McDonald's cheeseburgers. I don't know. <laughs> McDonald's was never like, I was never like super impressed with McDonald's. I always thought it was shit food. I always thought it was kind of gross. Yeah, it, it ha I honestly think they've stepped their game up a lot in the last few years. Um, I, w I would tend to agree with you, but my childhood, once my parents got divorced, my childhood was like heavily, uh, I don't know if you could tell, but heavily influenced by fast food because mm. my, my mom, I'd have, you know, dinners all the time. She'd cook for us, family dinners were sitting around. My dad was a lot more on the run, so it was a lot of pizza, a lot yeah. of Taco yeah. Bell, a lot of fast food. So it's just like I grew, even if maybe I didn't like them, I grew to love all these things Uh or just, you know, go to them all the time. So hey, you might be on to something there. Cause I, I remember telling this to Jacqueline one day and I've thought it for a while that it was immediately after my parents got divorced mm -hmm. that I became a really, really chubby kid. Same. Is, yep. it, is that true for you too? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was a twig, bro. Like a twig. I really? was a skinny kid. And I remember hmm. my parents telling me, oh, you can eat anything you want. You'll be fine. Uh, you know, which was true until I was about nine years old, 10 years old. Do you think that's just chance or do you think they're at all related? I think they're related for sure. Yeah. I yeah. Agree. Because, <laughs> and, and this is an indictment on my parents. This happened to everybody. I don't think, I just don't think we were like as aware back then, but there was no limitations to my diet, bro. I mm. ate whatever the fuck I wanted, basically whenever I wanted to. Yep. Soda yep. all the time. Like I said, fast food. Like, like I don't like really like McDonald's, but I craved fast food, Jack in a box, mm. burgers, whatever, you know, bacon burgers, pizza, burritos carne asada fries all that dude. Oh. like that's like that's all i ever wanted to eat was like really tasty delicious shitty food right so yeah i i've, I've often contended that that's what the catalyst was for and and like I, i'm sure as a kid i didn't know it but there was a ton, I, I knew there was a ton of stress uh but as a kid i'm sure i didn't know that i was like trying to medicate that stress by eating well it's that but also like i feel like my parents would like take us out like you want to go get ice cream you know what I mean? Like stuff like that, because like they know you're going through it. So like yeah, they want to help you with nice. like treats or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like long-term effects of that are, are very questionable. <laughs> but yes. that is interesting. I've never thought about that before. Have you not? No, I, I, I definitely thought it was one day I was huh. looking at pictures and like one year baseball pictures, regular, normal, skinny looking, healthy kid. The next mm. year, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> big, big fatty. Big fatty. That's and here's awesome. the thing about that. And the reason I, the reason it, it doesn't affect me so much anymore, but like for a long time, dude, like I was incredibly self-conscious about my weight and it wasn't mm. like, because I had anybody telling me that I was fat. I knew that I was fat. Like I knew that I was chubby. I knew that I had rolls and like, I, I, you know, it, it was never anything that I was like super, uh, confident about. And I, I don't hold any resentment, but like, I just look back and I'm thinking, well, what the heck happened? Cause I was like really not a fat kid. And then mm -hmm. when I looked at these pictures, I'm thinking like, well, what could have happened? And sure enough, like it coincides directly with my parents' divorce. So I'm like, huh, 
There's got, there's got to be something there. Uh, all right. So in the news today, we should get to the news. Stop talking about our fat childhoods. <laughs> this is something you don't hear that often, but Donald Trump is in the news. Today, hey, you know today, what? Frank. Honestly, you did. You don't. We, we didn't. We don't really talk about Donald Trump all that much. Not anymore. You're, that's true. Yeah. Since and we haven't had time. to. I mean, yeah. We haven't had a reason to. Thankfully. And now we have a reason to. I'm kind of upset about it. This is Attorney General uh, Mayor Garland talking about the uh, FBI uh, raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. First, I personally approved the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. Second, the department does not take such a decision lightly. Where possible, it is standard practice to seek less intrusive means as an alternative to a search and to narrowly scope any search that is undertaken. Third, let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. We'll get to that last point in a minute. Let's, let's get to the facts first before we start talking about all the other shit. Donald Trump leaves the White House and in a haste he takes items with him. The National Archives of the United States keeps record of everything that goes on within the White House. All documents need to be preserved. It's, it's, it's very thorough and they keep everything. Okay. That doesn't mean they're going to declassify everything. That just means they keep everything. He takes about 15 boxes of things back with him to Mar-a-Lago. And the National Archives had been negotiating with Trump since his departure from the White House and his lawyers to return those items because those items technically don't belong to him, or at least they need to be logged by the National Archives before he can regain control of them. There's a bunch of different processes. But in any case, it was a matter of national security that they received those back just to make sure that there was not a matter of national security problem. Yeah. So he sends back in this past February, he sends back 15 boxes of items to the National Archives. And there was like a letter, there was it was like the original letter that uh, Barack Obama had left him after Obama left in 2016. Uh, a correspondence from uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea. And even that, uh, do you remember, do you remember when there was like that big debate about, there was like a storm in the South and he had said something about the storm that everyone said was inaccurate. And then he put like a big poster board of the storm and he was writing with it with a Sharpie. Do you remember that? You know what? Love or hate him. That fucking guy was so entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he had that too. So he, he sent all that back. But when he sent that stuff back, there were still items that were missing. Mm -hmm. That's what prompted this raid. So there were still items from the items that, they, that, that, were, that were missing originally that he did not return. And so I guess the FBI had reason to believe that, that those items were a matter of national security and that them being out into the public without any knowledge of where they might end up or, where, or how they might be used was a matter so significant that they needed to go and raid the house of a former president now. They absolutely could be as serious as they're making them out to be. But I have my doubts. First doubt, why did it take Mayor Garland weeks to come to the decision of whether or not to raid Trump's home? Because he came out and said it himself that he contemplated this decision for weeks. If it was that dangerous and it was that big of a matter of national security, how could you have two weeks to debate? True. That to me doesn't make any sense at all. Okay. So here's what I think is going to happen. One of two things. Donald Trump goes to jail 
or Donald Trump becomes president. There was, there was no in between. There was only one of those two things, because if you're going to raid his, his personal residence for documents that you think might be a a matter of national security and and, an indictment is not going to follow that, then you have just reignited the entire Trump base. You've just lit a giant fire right under their asses. And nobody, nobody was talking about this guy. I mean, look, dude, I run in some pretty conservative circles. Nobody was talking about Donald Trump. Everybody was so willing to let this guy just go. Thank you for your service. We appreciate all that you've done. Please leave. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw an article the other day talking about this upcoming election saying that, at least from this writer's perspective, what they thought the most interesting ticket would be would be a Newsom versus DeSantis ticket, mm-hmm. where it bring in some youth, bring in mm-hmm. fresh faces. You bet. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, that kind of surprised me because to me, I've always like, oh, yeah, Donald Trump's coming back. But I'm like, maybe the party is trying to move away from him and distance themselves from January 6th and all the other shit. Like, maybe... DeSantis is a is an interesting choice, but definitely one that would strike up passion as is Newsom. So, and then this happens, <laughs> it's like fuck. The way it looked before before this happened was probably Donald Trump was going to win the nomination, probably. And the reason for that was because he has way too much of the boomer base, yeah. right? He's locked up a lot of that generation. They're set in their ways. They don't like to think too much. They know who Trump is. They like Trump. Okay. It would have taken an effort from DeSantis to, to unseat him for the nomination of the Republican party. And that was looking more and more like a, you know, like, like something that was going to happen after this. It's like, dude, how? Yeah. Let's, let's go, let's go down the list real quick. Mm-hmm. The, the former president Obama, then president and his administration spies on the Trump campaign, Hillary Clinton and her campaign pay a company to f- dig up a fabricated dossier turn into the intelligence community of the United States, prompting a two-year investigation into Donald Trump, finding absolutely nothing that warrants an indictment. Okay? This man has been through two impeachments. And you're going to tell me now, now he, now he's broken the law, now we can finally nab him? Mm-hmm. If you're going to go and raid this guy, you have to have the goods. Because if you're just going to keep coming for him and not have anything then all you're going to do is piss off people who who are rightfully upset that that this looks political. As much as you can tell me this isn't political and that the FBI has blinders on and that they're going to, you know, they're going to go and and they're going to hold everybody to account, it can't be looked at in any other lens outside of a, a, being a political hit. And if you're not going to indict, then then how can anybody see it differently? And what, what I'm failing to understand too in all this, and I saw fucking Hillary Clinton with her goddamn, she took this as an opportunity to make merch. So she must be maybe trying to make some money or something. Oh, but the email one? Yeah. What about the emails? But to me, it's like you were Secretary of State or whatever the, like when that shit happened and, and your emails, all that shit happened. How is that not very similar to this? Like, I could, there's got to be tons of confidential shit in there that found their hands into whoever, found their way into whoever's hands. And there's no nothing. Like, but Trump takes documents. Some that are like letters to him personally. I don't understand why he would need to share that with the National Archives in the first place. But he gets his house raided and now might, you know, be facing charges. I just don't understand. It's just hypocrisy to me. It doesn't make any sense. Well, because well, like, you know, put yourself in the shoes of Mayor Garland for a second. These, these, these documents are, are outstanding, right? You would have to make a character judgment, fine, mm-hmm. as you might, about Donald Trump, that if... National security secrets are in his hands. 
then that spells danger for America and he's broken the law, right? Those two things exist. You would have to make that assumption based off of a character judgment of Donald Trump. Which is like a somewhat fair assessment. I can like, understand I can it, right? That. You can understand yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Donald Trump. He's an ass, okay? But, but just by making that character judgment and going forward with this, then automatically, boom, you're saying that this is political. And you might say, well, what does it matter? If he broke the law, he broke the law. It doesn't matter his political affiliation, this, that, and the other. But it does because he's the leading candidate for a presidential election. And this happens right before the midterms. So you say, okay, maybe this isn't political, but everything leading up to it, all the little crumbs of this trail kind of lead it to, to be uh, uh, political. And, and the next thing that we're going to talk about is about the FBI. Okay. The FBI is not to be trusted. So if they're the ones raiding Donald Trump's uh, uh, residence, then you could be forgiven for having a healthy dose of skepticism about the FBI and and what their uh, what their motives are, right? We we covered it pretty concisely when it happened, but there was a, a an attempt, air quote, attempt on the life of Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer, and we come to find out that the people who were in this group that were plotting to kidnap Governor Whitmer, more of them were FBI agents than weren't, hmm. right? Seven FBI agents versus six citizens. So there were seven informants inside of a group that were, quote, plant plotting to uh, kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer. That's just like one example of hundreds. Uh, some of the more egregious ones, I don't know if you are uh, familiar with the uh, Branch Davidian scandal that happened back in the, I think, the 80s, 90s. Are you familiar with this? Mm-mm. Oh, man. This is a whole podcast in and of itself. There were a group of religious, you can call them cult, you can call them whatever, right? It was a group of, of, of people, they called themselves Branch Davidians. They had a compound in Texas. They had tons of weapons and tons of ammo, like stockpiles of it all. The ATF tried to go in and raid them and it failed. So then the FBI came in and they seized, they, they, they had a, a, a standoff with these Branch Davidians for like 51 days. There was a fire in this compound and the FBI pretty much like like herded these people so that they didn't leave the compound as it was burning. Seventy some odd people died: babies, women, children, men, what? whole bunch of them. Yeah, dude, it's fucking wild. It's absolutely insane. Um, and this this was the FBI. They they all burned to death. And then the FBI agents took pictures on top of you know, uh, the piles of rubble after this all happened, like they did something great for, you know, American, uh, safety or whatever. It, it, a- absolutely hmm. insane. These are the, the people that the FBI were aware of before they committed their individual heinous acts. Uh, the Fort hood terrorist, Nadal Hassan, you remember that guy drove mm-hmm. into Fort hood, shot, shot yep. a few people, killed him. This was back in like 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah. FBI knew about them. FBI was warned about the Boston marathon bombers. They knew about them. FBI was warned about the uh, Parkland shooter. They knew about him. The FBI knew about the Pulse nightclub shooter. The FBI was warned about a man in, in Virginia shouting Allah Akbar while stabbing a couple, but failed to stop him. Under James Comey, the FBI authorized informants to break the law to 22,800 times in just four years. So look, dude, they're running their own show and they're not to be trusted. And we can, sh- we can, you know, there's countless examples of why the FBI is just uh, uh, you know, becoming more and more corrupt. So you could understand that people see that the FBI is raiding the former president's home and they're not releasing the affidavit. 
right. the affidavit is the list of what was taken at the compound at, at Trump's home. Now, what they're saying is that if they release this affidavit, then it leads it it, it shows the, the the roadmap for the government's uh, road to pro- prosecution, and that it would dismantle their whole case against the former president. Mm. Um, but if we're just going to take them at their word, then you could understand how there's absolutely no trust as it comes to this investigation. I'm not saying you have to be political when you're when you're the FBI operating like this, but just saying that you're aware of what the political ramifications are, if you do this is not enough. Like there needs to be a thousand percent transparency. Mm-hmm. You know, like we've investigated this guy for so much, for so long. What, 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 what could you possibly come up with now that, that you can bring an indictment and, and send him to prison? But I hope they do, man. I really, really do hope that they do. Uh, because that's the only way that I think that we'll, we'll be able to finally have some sort of trust again in the federal government and our, in our, uh, intelligence agencies, you know, finally somebody goes to jail. I, 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 it, it, you know, it wouldn't make me super stoked to see Trump go to jail, but like at least some politician would go to jail. And then, and then we're setting a precedent that politicians can get, can go to jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. The FBI was also tracking the bomb, the guys that flew the planes into the trade centers as well. Like for oh, a yeah, long yeah, time, for, sure. for like years, they were tracking mm-hmm. these people, knew they lived in uh, San Diego, knew that they were uh, living with another like known terrorist threat that was part of Al Qaeda. And it's like, it's, it's crazy how much they know. And then something happens. It's like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do they keep getting away with that? I right. Don't get Just off oh, shit. <laughs> you know, where's the repercussions? Like, yeah. Where are the heads on platters? Mm-hmm. Public humiliation or public firings or something. Just you know, this guy does not work in in uh, intelligence agencies anymore because they're obviously not competent enough to do so. Yeah. And then Bruce Reinhardt, the guy that made the call on on the warrant, wasn't there some like connections with him and uh, Jeffrey Epstein too? Yeah, there were. So this guy has a weird history. Um, first of all, he he yeah, yeah yes he's a judge, but in this capacity he was acting as a magistrate which is like a step below a judge. And that's normal procedure. If you're going to go, you know, get a search warrant to look in my home for something that you think that I have for the former president, you should probably have like a judge judge guys title is judge, not federal magistrate. Anyways, mm. in 2008, Bruce Reinhardt is a U uh, S attorney. Okay. In, in Florida, there's a case that comes against a one Jeffrey Epstein. Bruce Reinhardt is working aggressively to, to, to get a, a sweetheart deal for, uh, Epstein. He quits his job as U S attorney. And the very next day is hired by, uh, aides of Jeffrey Epstein, his secretary. Uh, and then a, like, I think his pilot and, and a couple other people who were close to him hire him, right? Mm-hmm. He just spent months working a case against Epstein, quits his job, and then is hired by Epstein's aides as their defense attorney, and then defends these people in court. Seems weird. What the fuck is that, dude? <laughs> they got I'm him, I'm not bro. trying to put on my tinfoil hat or nothing, but like, make that make sense. And they fucking turned him, man. Dude. Some, they, they blackmailed him, or he took a trip to the island and had too much fun, and then they're like, we own you now. I bet you. Bet something, you, Something, man. Something like that. This is, this is in 2011. 
this guy, Reinhardt, swore under penalty of perjury that he had nothing to do with Epstein's investigation and had zero information on his case, but his supervisor filed a court paper contradicting the claim the Miami Herald reported. Quote, while Bruce E. Reinhardt was an assistant U.S. attorney, he learned confidential, non-public information about the Epstein matter, joined Epstein's payroll shortly after important decisions were made limiting Epstein's criminal liability, and improperly represented Epstein's victim, Epstein victims in follow-on civil suits. Plaintiffs in the in the Jane Doe's number one and number two versus the United States case alleged. Uh, Reinhardt reportedly quit working for the U.S. Attorney's Office on New Year's Day of 2008 and started working for Epstein on January 2nd, 2008. His clients included Epstein's pilots, his scheduler, and a woman called Nadia Marcinkova, who Epstein described as his Yugoslavian sex slave. <laughs> oh. All right. So at the very least, this guy is just a, just a complete dirtbag. And, you know, what bearing it has on anything that has to do with this case, I don't know if it has any at all, other than this U.S. government, man, it's 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 as corrupt as you think it is, mm-hmm. obviously. Ugh, ugh, goodness gracious. Gross. So we'll see. I, I, it, the, the, the next step in this is going to be, you know, whether or not this affidavit gets released. And if it doesn't, then we'll have to wait a lot longer to figure out what they took. But we do know that they did take his passports. Oh, so he can't leave. Well, they gave him back, but oh. what we're able to have visibility in is the is the is the search warrant itself. So the search warrant was so broad that it, it claimed that these FBI agents could take anything that was in proximity to the materials that they were looking for as like a casting a wide net and a failsafe. So so you mm-hmm. you find a box of documents that you're looking for boom found them and then right next to it you find a smaller box with like passports and so then they had jurisdiction to take the all of that and then trump was like uh what the fuck you took my passports please give those back and then they gave them back Uh, but they had authority to seize his passports this is the former president of the united fucking states dude i know man like i don't know dude he's got to go to prison He's got to go to prison or it's going to be Trump, DeSantis, DeSantis. And you're going to see uh, 12 years of pure conservative rule. You think so? you just couldn't let him go. Just let him die. Just let him wither in the yeah. sun. Fuck, dude. I don't understand it. When you're a kid and, and somebody was fucking with you and being a bully, what were your two options? Punch him in the face or just ignore them? What about tell their mom? Or tell... Yeah, well... <laughs> I don't know that applies here, Al. <laughs> but just let leave, fucking yeah, let him then, wither away. You've already mm. excommunicated him from basically all platforms. You're just igniting more furor over Trump. And I just, I don't understand it, man. Just let him be. Yeah. God, I would, God dude, I would have loved to read Obama's letter to him and his letter to Biden. I'm sure if he even left one for Biden, I could see him. Biden. Yeah, I could see him not, or just like, you stole the election, mm-hmm. piece of shit. But I, I would have loved, because, you know, I mean, Barry, we have our things about Barry and, you know, things I liked about his presidency, a lot of things I didn't, but like, he he was a pretty stand-up dude, I would say, as far as honoring the, the office of the presidency. So I, I, I'm sure that, that that letter was somewhat, you know, classy. I'm sure there's like some tongue-in-cheek shit there where he, he's taking shots at him, but I, oh, God, I'd love to read that. Is that going to be like public record then? I don't, know. I don't know that any of those letters are, but this isn't like, so this isn't a, a new phenomenon taking things from the white house when your presidency's over. Um, although it's not allowed when the Cl- Clintons left in 2001, they took like $250,000 worth of furniture and gifts that were Damn. given to them while they were in the white house. And they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's mine. They was given to us. And then, um, the government was like, no, 
It's not, but if it if it was given to you, then you're not allowed to take it because you're only allowed to take gifts under $400 worth of value. So then they had to pay for that furniture that they were gifted. Damn. He's like, yeah, Monica gave me a great blowjob yes. on that couch. I need to take that couch. <laughs> Good memories. <laughs> Uh, and then Obama took, uh, I don't know, some untold millions of documents and, and, and like he didn't like steal them. There was a process he went through and he took them to this uh, field office in Chicago and promised that he was going to make them uh, all public and he never did. And people were like really upset about it. So it just sounds like Trump took these things. It, it, it sounds like it's going to hinge on whether or not he formally declassified them because he can declassify whatever he wants. Right. He has the power. Even now or you're saying as sitting president? He he also has pretty pretty broad powers as a non-president in that mm-hmm. respect, but for him to legally be in possession of those documents, it sounds like he would have had to formally declassify them before he took them. But we don't know what they are. They're claiming there's like some nuclear secrets and that the, the, the threat is he's going to sell them off. And I don't know, man. Look, I, like I said... I, I, I hope he goes to prison because if he doesn't go to prison, he's going to go to the White House. There's there's right now that that's that is the the the, the bed that we've made here. There, I mean, really, there's no other option. I don't I don't see prison yeah. or president. That's is one of the two. And mm-hmm. uh, so again, to make a compelling case and fucking a dude, they've they've tried it three times already. Yeah, so right. forgive me for not really believing they're acting in good faith here. I, I, I just think it's uh, just smells of a political witch hunt. Yeah, agreed. What's going on uh, down in Tijuana this week, man? I heard some news was coming out of there. Yeah, not a whole lot of good things happening in Tijuana this weekend. This is in Oxo, which is like a Mexican 7-Eleven. Oh, shit. Got a fire right in the middle of the store. Was that like a Molotov? Oh, shit. Just popping shots in a 7-Eleven parking lot. Yeah, so that was going that was going on uh, quite a bit in, uh, in in Mexico this this past weekend in the border town of Tijuana and also in Rosarito and in in Juarez. Uh, this is the border crossing into Mexico from the United States into Juarez. Dude, not a single car. Whoa! It's it's usually not very heavy going into Mexico. It can be, but it usually isn't. It's never like this with where there's not a single car to be found so that wasn't like they shut down the border it was just no one wanted to go that's correct yeah wow. so the last time i saw it like that was during COVID. it's all cartel based mexican officials say that cartel assailants hijacked and burned at least two dozen vehicles and put up roadblocks around the state uh friday evening messages also began circulating on social media purportedly from the jalisco new generation cartel declaring a curfew in Tijuana and warning residents to go home or risk being attacked. Before this weekend, there was uh, violence in in Juarez, where that, that video was from. Uh, 11 people were killed. And this is just, uh, uh, you know, I would say it's growing, but I don't even know that it's growing. It's just a constant flow of, uh, you know, really, really, really terrible things happening in in and around uh, these border towns in Mexico due to cartel activity. Uh, there's some uh, half a dozen journalists that have been killed this year, um, mm. you know, just straight executions uh, because they've been talking out and and uh, writing about the cartel and the violence and things that are going on. So it's just a it's a constant battle struggle between the federal police in Mexico and the cartels. And really, all the federal police in Mexico can hope for is that they keep regular citizens safe. And that the people involved in this stuff, it's kind of fair game, you know, do it. If you're going to get involved in it, you know what is going to happen. Um, but when they go 
they being the cartel go into these cities and start attacking civilians and businesses. Um, you know, obviously they're trying to send a message and that message is that, you know, you can, you cannot fuck with us. Why has the cartel been allowed to be around and with such the presence they have for years and years and years? Like I, I don't understand. Like, is it because it's a net positive for Mexico and Colombia, like just in general in South America, like because they're making money and I mean, it's an import export business with drugs and guns and shit. I get that. But like, I don't think Mexico really sees that money. Those families do, you know, it's like, what, how are they still around? How is not FBI or whoever the fuck, like all these forces joined up to take them down as if they were a terrorist organization? Because, because they can, that's why the only reason that they're, that they're doing this is because they can. Mexico doesn't allow citizens to carry weapons. Mm -hmm. So the cartel carries weapons. The cartel has more weapons than does the Mexican government. And so they are outmanned and they are out uh, armed. And so the cartels control everything because they can. And the cartels don't attack us because they know that then we'd get involved and destroy them. Is attack that, who? Like, Who's us? Like America. Like, I don't, I don't understand why. Why would they attack their number one customer? True. But I just feel like we get involved in so many other, you know, international things that aren't really our problem. Whereas like a huge gang on our border facilitating the you know the passage of drugs people and guns like why wouldn't we want to have that more in check or just like gone and and instead we're over wearing you know fucking with al-qaeda and isis and all these other people over here like that are a world away from us well it's interesting you say that because that's what donald trump first campaigned on and he was called a racist oh true true you're right yeah, we should. No, I, yeah, no, we should. I, I, I have no argument sense. with you, brother. It's yeah, been absolutely. Years and years. It's it's asinine, and it kills uh, 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 you know, so many Americans. I, I don't know the numbers, but it you know, it's got to be on par with the amount of uh, you know Mexicans that are killed to facilitate this drug, the drug trade. So, I mean, look to me when you hear these stories, it's the very best case for why we have a Second Amendment. Yeah, because right. that is what we're trying to defend against. And the only reason that we don't have to defend against it is because people know that if they try and fuck around, they're going to find out what's on the business end of an automatic rifle. Yeah, that's true. And if you were able to arm an American or a Mexican citizen to a man with multiple weapons, this cartel business goes away real quick. Mm -hmm. That's true. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be, it would be great if we, you know, if we could do something about it. But that would entail large-scale cooperation from the Mexican government against their own citizens. But I think they, I would, they would want that, though, and right? Like, why would you want the mafia running? Because, because they, because everything's corrupt, dude. I, I, because they're in there, everything. They're in the government. They're yeah. in the police. They're, they're, you know. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? Short, short of going to war, which we could. But why would we want to do that to our, to our neighbors? Many, many of many of whom reside in this country. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's a true. tricky situation, man. Mm -hmm. It is a tricky, tricky situation. Heartbreaking. I used to, I used to, uh, my, my dad used to live in TJ and we used to go every other weekend. And this was, um, in the height of the Ari Ariano Felix cartel, which was, you know, one of the worst eras of, you know, Mexican cartel history. It was really mm -hmm. brutal, very ugly, uh, incredible amounts of violence. And, there were wanted posters of those two brothers everywhere and you'd cross the border and there's dogs in every line sniffing every car wow. and guys with big giant guns rolling around. I mean, it was, it was dangerous stuff. So I don't know, man, like it's kind of like 
you know, anything in the United States were, you know, gun violence or drug use or whatever. How do you eradicate it without eradicating the people? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's tough. Mm-hmm. I don't have the answers. This one uh, piqued my interest here on, on your queue here. All great topics today, but the only thing it says here is sleepovers. And I'm very curious to what that means. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel? How do you feel about uh, sleepovers? For, like, your I guess kid? it depends in what capacity. Like, I mean, is my kid sleeping over with like another friend, or is my kid sleeping over with a youth minister? Yeah, yeah, with a, with a friend. <laughs> um, sure, yeah, pro. I, I think social. I mean, depending at at the age and whatnot, and who the kid in the family is, like, I'd want to know all that shit. But I, I think the uh, like the social aspect of it and and growing the relationships with people is is very beneficial for a developing child. Yeah. Well, the think? reason I bring it up is there's a, there's an article I was reading about, uh, how, uh, Gen Xers and millennials have, uh, you know, kind of grown up sleeping over at friends' houses, but they may be the generation that kind of stops that phenomenon. So I first heard about this kind of in the book, the tiger mom book, you know what I'm talking about? Tiger mom. No. Battle him of the tiger mother. And it's about this, uh, Asian American mom who grew up with a crazy strict mom who became that crazy strict mom and then defends her strictness. And she has a absolute zero tolerance policy on sleeping on her kids, sleeping over at other kids' houses. And I'm thinking, huh, I wonder why. But then I started thinking about my, like the sleepovers I would have first time I got drunk. Sorry, mom, 15 years old, sleeping over at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. It's like, and, and, and that's just, that's just what I'm willing to, to say publicly of what I've done during sleepovers, you know, like I, I would get into a lot of trouble. Would you ever stay up and watch like the BET cuts with all your friends or wait for the girls gone wild commercials to come wait on? Wait for the girls gone wild commercials or like, <laughs> you know, go sneak into the parents room and grab the porno DVDs or, yeah. you know, like whatever it was that we could get like, dude, go TV. But, in. but don't you think that that kind of shit, whether your parents approve of it or not, like whatever, but like, don't you think that like that kind of shit like helps mold you or, or like helps like it's Maybe. part of the yeah. the experience of being a teenager. Like, I think if you would like live iron fist by the book, by your parents' rules, I think you would, you miss out on a lot. Like, I think that's kind of part of the, the human experience a little bit to like fuck up sometimes and, and like learn from that instead of just being told like, no, that's wrong. That's that. But like never knowing, I guess, you know, I, is that like a hippie mentality? Like to think that way? Like, I, I, I think it's, I, I think a lot of that shit whether it's right or wrong it is for the overall like good of of the experience of a human. Yeah, this article kind of goes down the whole uh road of the advent of technology these days and what kids have access to and what they're able to mm. do and you know the things that uh the things that you know like the parents may not see and I don't know. It's it's really tricky because my my first initial reaction would be like no. No sleepovers. You can avoid a whole bunch of other stuff by saying no to sleepovers. But then you'd have to, like you said, like kind of rule by an iron fist, right? Like I don't want my kid having social media, right? Like mm-hmm. I just don't think that, I think it's a net negative. Like I'm off Instagram right now and I'm, you know, there's, I'm not missing out on anything. Matter of fact, I do believe that my life's a little bit better. I don't think that I have nearly as much anxiety or as much stress or have wasted as much time as I would have had I had Instagram. Right. If I choose that, not let my kid have Instagram, then, you know, how, what am I going to do? Avoid it at all costs. Then if, if I don't want them to have Instagram, then they certainly can't go to a sleepover because what's that a sleepover? All the things I don't want them to have. You know what I mean? So, so then it's like, yeah, like then you would be ruling the iron fist. And is that good? Yeah. Like how do you patrol that? Do you check their phone every day to see if Instagram's on there? No, I mean, because I mean, like you don't give them a phone. You just don't give them a phone until they're 18. No. 
Or if you give them yeah. a phone, it has phone capabilities and that's it. Texting oh, capabilities. you're talking no about. internet or whatever. Yeah, you know? give them like one of them old phones, baby. There you go. <laughs> learn, learn, how to, learn how to text with, with uh, three digits on one key. Flip phones. Yes, fuck yeah. But, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, th- I'm, I'm kind of talking to my ass here because I don't, I don't have a kid yet. And this is not going to be something I'm going to worry about, you know, for a few years. But I will have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when the, the topic of sleepovers come up, you know, it's like, I can see, how, oh, it's no big deal. Come on. They're just going to have fun. You remember what it was like being a kid. And then I remember what it's like being a kid. And it's like, yeah, but also I dodged a lot of bullets too. You know what I mean? Like I, like I could have come out a lot more injured than I did. And I don't yeah. think that has anything to do with anything other than like pure dumb luck, right? That mm-hmm. I just, I wasn't the one. So I don't know, man, it's, it's all very tricky, but I just thought that that was interesting that there's a, 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 a trend of parents in our generation saying no to sleepovers. Yeah, that, that is weird. That is really weird. I but who, it, like, it would certainly that. give me more, I would it would certainly give me more pause and I wouldn't yeah, be, I, I wouldn't be so anxious to be like, yes, you can do that. Cause I remember, I remember when, when I wanted to go stay at my buddy's house and my mom was like, absolutely not. And like, I fought with her. Oh, really? She didn't know. She didn't know the kid. I knew who he yeah. was. Yeah. That's where I would be as a parent more apprehensive. It's like, if I don't know the kid, don't know what the fuck's going on at the house. Mm-hmm. Like, n- no, like I, I feel like that, that is where I would, I would draw the line or, and whatnot. Like I, I want to know that they're at least safe, you know, and, and with people that like with parents that give a fuck, you know, yeah. it's like, th- that would be the borderline, but like here's the, the baseline. Thing. I wouldn't have trusted me at 15 mm-hmm. and I wasn't a bad kid, but I wouldn't have trusted me. So why would I trust my kid? Maybe he's not me and he won't be. But like, why would I trust a 15 year old in general? They're assholes, dude. They have an yeah. undeveloped brain and all they want to do is have fun and do what they want to do. So of course a 15 year old is going to manipulate me into to saying yes to going to a friend's house, especially if he knows there's going to be some debauchery there. But don't you think as a parent of a 15, like you've been dealing with that motherfucker all month, you know, and he's been a dickhead and he's like, Hey, can I go do this? And you're like, I can get a night free with me and my wife. And fucking, yeah, dude, go yeah. ahead. Get the fuck out of here. here. Here's here's the way I see it. And maybe I'll change once I have a kid. I don't know. There's only two people in a child's life that are supposed to be rigid barriers for that kid. And that's his parents. Mm-hmm. So I would I'd probably always lean on saying no to something like that before saying yes. Yeah, I could see that. I also think the more barriers you put up though, the more curious that kid becomes and when they're not the when they're no longer barriered could spin way way worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, but like in, in when in terms of sleepovers, if you're going to say no to a sleepover and then your kid turns 18, what's he going to do? Like have a bunch of sleepovers cuz he just yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just a sleepover. I'm not it's going not you're home missing for a month. Anything. Fuck you. Yeah, right. I don't know. Like like if but but the same argument with with parents who say like yeah like I'll give my kid uh, a taste of this my, my mom used to say that yeah you know, I'll give my I'll give you know I'll let them taste this alcohol because if they don't taste it with me they're gonna taste it with the kid somebody else it's not it's not either or it's and yes I'll drink with you and then I will drink without you you know what I mean that's like not, yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna not drink because you're giving me the alcohol and I'm not I'm not sitting here telling my mom saying my mom got me drunk or nothing but like if she would go to a friend's house and she would bring us along and we're playing with their kids and they they would like pour a drink I'd ask my mom you know can I try it. Just want to see what it tastes like. And she'd like give me a little tiny sip. Flash forward 30 years, you're yeah, an alcoholic. Yeah, exactly. I mean. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> but, 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 but see, I do believe that if you, if you crank down on your kid with like that kind of, that kind of thing, like alcohol and drugs, and you're like just adamantly like abstinent, mm-hmm. 
then that to me is like, okay, yeah, for sure. Then, then that's reverse psychology. All the kids can think about is like, oh, why are they so against this? Why are they so against this? I want to know. Catholic girls with sex, bro. That's, that's exactly what it is. Those girls all get to college. They're fucking freaks. I can attest to that. They, they just want to suck and fuck anything. (laughs) It's just, it's been kept from you your whole life. I feel like, yeah. Or there's this big taboo about it. So it's like, now I'm in college. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And I'm in, in a dorm with, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, so it's like if they don't have any guidance in that area, I feel like it can go bad. See, in that in that example, uh-huh. I blame the parents. You bl- because and not not because they didn't introduce them to these topics, because they didn't do a good enough job, and yeah. they weren't as invested as they needed to be. Because if you're going to send a kid off to college and they have the ability to just go buck wild, that means that all you were doing was like shielding them, but you weren't raising them. You know, like you were just you were just saying no, don't do this, instead of saying like. Hey, uh, I'm never going to have control over what you do uh, as soon as you leave this house. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, you know, I need you to know what these things are and and why they're so acutely dangerous to you specifically. Right. Yeah. Good point. You know what I mean? Because if you just say like no, then you 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 know you've you've not done anything. I think. Yeah. Quick before we get out of here, uh, we have to cover the soul crushing news that came out of San Diego this week. I'm <sighs> sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. Yeah. What do you, I don't know, Moment man. of silence. What do you, <laughs> it's so frustrating. Fernando Tatis Jr. was handed down an 80-game suspension for uh, PED use for taking a banned substance as prescribed by Major League Baseball that he can't take it. He came out with some thing saying, hey, I had ringworm and I took this medication versus this medication. And they're two different medications, but they, they're off by like one letter. So he's like, oh yeah, I mixed them up. And then a bunch of doctors came and like, this is complete horseshit. You, you would never accidentally take this medication. And then his dad came out and said something like he had a haircut, which caused a fungus. And he used this spray that had this, this, uh, colostomal steroid that he got popped for in it, regardless of what his excuses, even if he was taking it as a performance enhancer to get back from injury faster. Doesn't matter. He, he is solely responsible for what he puts in his body and he got popped with PEDs and now he's out for 80 games. He will miss this entire season. He has a 13 year, 400 some odd million dollar contract and has yet to play a full season in the majors. So that's all I have to say about Toddy jr. Um, <sighs> the, the only thing that I hope happens is that he, uh, matures is that he begins to, I don't know, become, uh, become a man with, uh, you know, with, with, with proper, uh, principles about how he goes about his life. He's only 23. So he's incredibly young. He's still probably top five baseball player when he's healthy. So I don't think Padres are going to move on him and get rid of him or anything. Do you still have love for this man? Like as a diehard Padres fan, they just bring in soda. They're doing all these things that, you know, to ramp up the season, and then this dude who got into a fucking motorcycle accident in the off season, another dumbass thing, goes and does this. Like, do Padre fans? I, I know you can't speak for all of them, but do you still have a place in your heart for this man? Believe in this man? Want to see him in a Padres uniform? Uh, yeah, of course, of course I do. But it, see, it, what what I feel like it doesn't matter what I think. I'm just a fan, you know. And at the end of the day, I, I'm, that's all I am. And but where it really gets me is that I'm a fan of the team, right? I like Tati, but I, I'm a fan of the team. And so where this really hurts me is that it hurts the team. And like the team is super disappointed in him. And they're like coming out publicly and being like, this is, you know, what the fuck, dude? Like I basically, saw that, dude, the manager. Everybody. And so if the team is not 
on your side, that that has nothing to do with me. I, I if you can get the team back in your good graces, then by all means, man, then you're you're fine with me. Then you've done what you needed to do. I don't want there to be like a souring between him and the fan base. And I don't, I'm, you know, playing baseball, playing good baseball will, will fix all of that. But man, what a, uh, I don't know. I just, it, it hurts. It hurts me for him. Cause you know, you're so young and you don't want, you don't want to, you don't want a young person to, to go through something like this, but, but hopefully this is what it takes to kind of kick him in the pants a little bit. And, you know, buckle down. This opportunity is a little bit more fragile than you thought it was. You're not going to be this guy forever. And you're, window is limited although it might be longer than most so tighten that shit up a little bit so are the padres done for the season like are they wasting one of these years with soto and and you know all these other guys that they have darvish or is there still a shot like could they could they beat the dodgers in the nl and go to the series their their general manager aj preller you know he said something like you know we we formulated this team to win as is without him that's not true you're banking yeah. on him coming back you know what i mean like it's not yeah. is the season over absolutely not could they make a run teams have won the world series with less so absolutely they have a team that is capable of it and i don't think that him coming back is necessarily like the key to us winning but if you go Jerickson Profar, Juan Soto, Fernando Tati Jr., and Manny Machado, that's your that's your top four in your lineup. I'll take yeah. them over anybody, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what we were hoping for. So we won't see that until I don't know, sometime May or June next year. Well, I'm sorry, man. That's that was a bummer. Fuck them. Big Go bummer. Padres. Go Padres. Fuck yeah. Uh, another thing I can get behind is drinking coffee. Drinking a good smooth cup of coffee is a treat all by itself. But when you can do that and help American heroes, it is that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our country. The way they do this is that they offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean ground or single serve pods. And right now, as a friend of this ship, you can use the promo code FNH10. You'll save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at gunbarrelcoffee.com. That is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. Yeah, boy! <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter at friendship. NH. You can hit us up on Instagram and TikTok at Friendship News Hour. Same handle, both socials. And you can send us an email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.